this is DJ Nash, creator of A Million Little Things. I'm hanging out with Elias, and we are in the Man Cave Chronicles. That's where it is. It starts. It starts right now. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, boo. Yo, Adrian. I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. DJ, welcome to the cave. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you, man? What's new with you? And uh, this, I'm very excited about this interview. Oh, I am excited as well. I know we've been trying to set it for a while, so thank you for being flexible. I... I, we keep trying to find a window, which is a little difficult as I have a couple of plates spinning. But I'm headed now to Vancouver. I'm going to go uh, up and see the cast. We're shooting episode 216 of A Mineral Things. And um, as I'm up there, I'm also writing the season finale. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. You've been busy the last few years. Huh? You started up in the, in the comedy world, writing, producing. You've worked on shows yeah. such as... Shows us Traffic Light, which, by the way, I loved that show. And when it got canceled, I was, like, so mad with Traffic Light. I think that was my favorite gig ever. I think that was my favorite gig ever. And people were like, well, you didn't create that show. And I said, yeah, that's exactly why it was my favorite gig ever. Because when the day was over, I could go home. Yeah. Uh, but um, I love that show. Bob Fisher, Bob Fisher, a tremendous writer, created that show. And uh, I liked him so much. I named Growing Up Fisher after him. Yeah, and yeah, and that, that was another, Growing Growing Up Fisher was another great show. Till Death, even the show that you did with Mark Paul Gosler, which you, you did about what ten episodes of that. Yeah, we did ten episodes. Uh, MP is awesome. Yeah, and Tone and Vanessa and Brisha—they're all just incredible people. Uh, that show changed a lot as we were making it and uh you know it was it just sort of got it was a show that if if we had been allowed to do the show we wanted to do it would have been incredible but it, there was a little too many hands yeah. too many hands in that one i know i kept checking online like every day like i hope it doesn't get canceled hope it doesn't get canceled and i was like man like it's like i don't i don't know how this whole cancellation thing works and if the numbers and everything but it's like sometimes i wonder like do people watch tv anymore or it's just i don't know it's, i remember it's frustrating. when that thing was canceled I got a call. They were like, hey, we're only going to make 10 of these, but don't tell anyone yet. And I thought, you know what? I probably should tell the cast. I need to tell people. Yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, uh, I think that one, uh, we probably should have made eight of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I want the listeners, I want the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, you know, we spoke off the air. Do you want to tell them originally where you're originally from? Originally from the 70s. Uh, I grew up in western Massachusetts, not far from you, uh, in a little town called Richmond. Um, and then we moved to uh, the Boston area in uh, the late 70s. My dad, whose birthday is today as we're recording this, um, he, uh, he was in business with his brother for a long time. And they closed the business and he didn't know what to do. He was, I think, 45 years old. And my mom said, you know... Mel, you always wanted to be a lawyer, go to law school. So we, the whole family moved to the Boston area, and my dad went to law school. And what is incredible about that is ever since um, he was around 11 years old, he's been blind. So my whole life, I've only known him as blind, and um, he oh, went wow. to law school blind. And oh, wow. so growing up, if you think you can complain about something, 
try complaining to a father who went to law school blind. Oh, <laughs> right? I believe like, it. Uh, Dad, I'm, I'm having trouble with my book report. I went to law school blind. Okay, sorry to have troubled you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, growing up in Boston as a kid, like you know, first of all, it must have been exciting growing up in Boston. You know, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, as a kid, what were you into? I can't say her name now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was, um, I think I was just a little nerd. I, I, I liked uh, video games and I loved the theater and um, was tall. So people wanted me to play basketball. Uh, but um, I, there was a, a school that I went to and um, they just had this incredible after school program. And I got involved with theater there. Um, and in fact, uh, the show that we did, which was Grease, we are doing on A Million Little Things. Uh, the next episode that airs features Danny as um, as, as Danny. Yeah, that's in, right. That's in, right. In Greece. Yeah. Wow. So, like, so you growing up, like, did you know you wanted to get into like the entertainment business, the world of it? Like, what was your, what was your ultimate to, dream? I always wanted to. My ultimate dream job, and and there's yearbooks from like ninth grade that that, that prove this. I wanted to replace Letterman at 12:30 um, on NBC, so I guess technically I wanted Seth Meyers' job now, um, and I just loved it. I would go to school um, and come home and take a nap so that I could stay up and do my homework while watching Letterman. Hmm. I was the opposite. I used to record Letterman just so I could go home after school and watch it at 12 from the 12:30 show. Oh, that, oh, that's that's probably a smarter <laughs> idea. I mean, I couldn't figure out how to use the the, the VCRs. VCRs back so I, I just really wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I started doing stand up in tenth grade. Um, in high school, I I started doing stand up, and then took some time off before college and did a little bit of stand up in the Boston area. Started performing at colleges, and then went to college myself. And while I was at at college, I um, had two really big things happened. I got to open for Kevin Nealon when he came to my school, and then I was asked to open for Adam Sandler um, at Smith College oh, wow. in Western Massachusetts. And those, those two events kind of gave me credits on the college campus, on the college circuit, rather, and I, I started performing at colleges. And I think I've performed over 400 colleges and, and used to do shows, like 100 college shows a year. It was great. So much fun. I, I really... I'm too old to do it now, but I really miss it. It, it, was, yeah. it was such an incredible time. Well, I don't think you're ever too old to, to go back to stand-up comedy, just to you know, go out there and throw a few on the set. No, I think I'm too old to do the college circuit. Like, I yeah, used yeah, yeah. to go to these colleges, and they were incredible, and we would, um, there would be, um, you know, I would do every show I did for a, a school. I would find material about the school and write stuff specific to what was happening on campus. It was really, it was, it was incredible. It was such, and, and those schools are certain schools that I've been to over a dozen times that have been such a big part of why I was able to pursue acting and writing and all this stuff um, in Smith, which is where I opened for Sandler. That was, that was certainly one of them. Yeah. What pushed you to like, try stand-up comedy? Like, were, were there a certain comedian that you just loved and you're like, yeah, I want to go try this someday? I think I grew up loving uh, like Steve Martin, Bill Cosby, Billy Crystal. I just, those were the, the stand-ups that influenced me. And I love telling stories, and so I would... And it's really different, though. If you joke around at school and yeah. you don't get a laugh, then you go to math class. <laughs> but <laughs> if you are telling people, oh, 8.30 Saturday, I'm going to be funny on stage, you have to be funny, and you have to be funny then. Mm. So 
a little tricky. How was it performing? I read online that you performed at the Just for Laughs in Montreal. That's like one of the biggest comedy festivals. That night changed my life. So I was in New York. I had just gotten married. My wife was taking the New York bar exam. She had just graduated law school. And it was July of 2000. And I went to Montreal and I did five minutes of stand-up. And while I'm on stage, um, and I remember the, the, the room had a balcony and all of the normal people were downstairs and all of the execs from L.A. who'd come in to find new talent were in the balcony. And, um, and they actually uh, televised it to the balcony because they wanted to see how people looked on TV, even though we were right in front of them. So Dom Herrera's hosting. He couldn't have been more generous. Um, there was a comic who went right before me. And all of us were on a thing called New Faces. And the, the, it, it was 24 comics um, who were brought in to be part of um, you know, you know, the idea that this is where you, the, the L.A. would come to find new talent. And the comic right before me, she tanked. She had a really rough set, and the crowd oh. was really tough on her. And I thought, oh, this is this could be tough because the crowd is, they're not in a good place. And Dom did a little time, brought them back like a good host would. And then I had this set and I remember I came off stage and there was a woman who came up to me who said, we really want to meet you. We really want to meet you. I looked down and her name tag said NBC. So I said, Oh my God, can I give you a hug? And I gave her a hug. And then CBS saw it and probably thought, like, why, why is he hugging NBC? We have to meet with him. <laughs> and it started this whole thing where um, the next week I was supposed to go on my honeymoon. And my wife and I, 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 my manager had set up, I think, I think it was like 20 meetings in five days, something oh, wow. crazy like that. And, um, and we postponed our honeymoon. And I came out to L.A. And that, I mean, it really was this incredible thing. I, I um it ended up that CBS gave me a development deal to develop a show based on my stand-up. Um, and um, I paired with a showrunner named Jeff Strauss, and Jeff was really generous. He said, do you want to write it with me? I had never written anything like that. And I said, yeah, sure. So we spent the next six months writing this script, and then we got to shoot it. And so they're making this pilot. It was directed by Pam Fryman, who is, you know, she did How I Met Your Mother. She's yeah. one of the top multi-cam directors in the, in the business. Um, and um, Elliot Gould played my dad, this guy, the stand-up who's hilarious. Burt Kreischer played my best friend. Liz Bassey played my wife. Uh, Peter Jacobson, an incredible actor, played my brother. It was, everyone in it was great, except for me. <laughs> and uh, I loved writing it. I just, I just wasn't great at acting in it. And, um, and when the show didn't get picked up for series, I thought, I really liked writing it though. And my agents thought, you know, well, you can go and read for anything. Now you've had a pilot. And I said, I want to, I want to write. And they, they said, well, what are you sure? I mean, if you act, you'll be home by four. And I said, no, I want to write. And, and that's, uh, that's how I started writing. I wrote wow. a, a spec script, which back in the day you wrote spec scripts. Now you write original things. Yeah. But back then you'd write a sample of an existing show. And I wrote a spec. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond. I was at um, a party, and there was this attractive woman there who, I was there with my wife, and this attractive woman who people had seen on TV came up to me, and she said, oh, are you DJ? And I said, uh, this is my wife. And she said, no, I want to 
get together with you uh, and have lunch. I'm like, this is my wife. <laughs> and she, I got, I got an attract and then she said, I, I, let me give you my phone number. I don't have a pen. And I said, I don't have a pen either. This is my wife. And my wife goes, <laughs> I have a pen. And so I got this attractive woman's phone number using my wife's pen. And um, I thought, well, that's a funny episode of Raymond. Wouldn't that be like, no, oh, she's a colleague. No. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, she, uh, my wife said to me, she just wants to pick your brain. This is what women in the workplace face. No part of her is a woman is identifying with any part of you that is a man. And I thought, oh, this is this would be a really great episode. So that was a spec script I wrote, and it got the attention of Terry Turner and uh, Larry Wilmore. And uh, Terry and Bonnie had created the show called Whoopi, and Larry Wilmore was going to run it. And um, I had a meeting, and uh, my wife and I had moved to Los Angeles after that pilot. Uh, she, I said, I want, I want to write for TV. Come on, take the California bar. So take the California bar. Move to Los Angeles, and I get a job writing in TV in New York. Of course, of <laughs> she course. Goes, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so um, she, I said, I don't know if the show's going to last. I don't know if I'm going to last on the show. So you stay in LA. I'll come back every weekend. So I stayed and lived. Um, I went back and lived with my old friends from New York. I lived with two single guys five days a week, and then I came home on the weekends to married life. Yeah. And, um, and that was my life for a year. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. And then after that, uh, I assume, how long did you do that for? You said a year? I did that for a year, okay. and then the show went away. Whoopi got canceled. Yeah. And, um, and then I thought, oh, I want to do a show called My Other Life in Brooklyn about a guy who lives five days a week with um, <laughs> with his single friend who yeah. comes home to married life. And I did that show um, uh, after that. So wow. that was, I think, the first wow. show I ever sold uh, on my own. Wow. So I mentioned earlier, you know, you were the creator and executive producer of A Million Little, Million Little Things. And we'll talk about that. And, you know, we'll talk about what the what's coming up with season two, part two. But... I want to know, like, how did you come up with the idea for the show? So I'm a comedy guy. Like, yeah. uh, I got to do drama in the past, and everyone said, no, thank you. Um, so um, this, uh, so I had this idea for a while. Uh, unfortunately, a few years ago, I lost a friend to suicide, and it really, um, you know, we weren't as close as the guys on the show, um, but his death was just as impactful and it really made me think I need to reconsider um, what I'm doing in life and just how I'm looking at the world. And I wanted to do a show about a group of friends who are all not living the version of life they thought they'd be living. And I think that's really true of us. I think none of us are living the version of life we thought we'd be living. Maybe it's better. Yeah. Maybe it's worse. It's just not what you were expecting. And, and the idea was that this friend's death is just the wake-up call they all need to make a change. Mm. Um, and, and and very much by design, I had them all meet um, um, when an elevator gets stuck. This elevator gets stuck, which was supposed to be a little bit symbolic of what they're going through. They're all sort of stuck in life. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was great about everyone getting meeting in an elevator is you can be in that elevator because you own the building, because you're visiting someone in the building because you're fixing the elevator. There's a, it, it allowed people from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic 
classes to, to just uh, coexist. And, and, and so I took this idea out. When I was going to my friend's memorial, I was trying to figure out, you know, how does someone who's so much like me on paper have such a different ending to his life? And I was thinking about John John and John F. Kennedy Jr. when he flew that fateful trip to Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. Yeah. He lost sight of the horizon. Yeah, he lost sight of the horizon. His, his instruments were telling him which way was up, but he didn't believe it. And so he started to nosedive. And by the time he realized what was happening, it was too late. He couldn't pull up. And I thought, that's depression. That's sort of what happened to my friend. And so I, I wrote that down in a notebook, the same notebook that I write any joke or any other thought that I think I might want to use one day. And that ended up being Maggie's speech to the gang um, after the funeral when she's at Delilah's house. And so I pitched the show. I um, um, took the idea to ABC, and um, they were unbelievably supportive. They just, uh, Channing, who was the president of the network at the time, she bought it in the room, and um, it was... It was um, it was incredible. The mm. experience, it was really quite easy to develop. You know, the comedies I developed in the past had always received a ton of notes and a ton of things. Um, and um, and uh, this one was really like, uh, it was a really easy development process. Mm. The idea that I came in with is pretty much what we shot for the pilot. There was a couple things that were changed that I actually think they made it so much better, but they the note process was uh, from right from the beginning we, we were talking about the same show it wasn't like sometimes you come in and you pitch something and it's 70 percent of what they're thinking but then they try to push that other 30 percent on you that wasn't the case here at all we were all talking about the same show oh, wow. what um uh, i know it i i mean there's a question like i assume the reason it takes place in boston is because you're originally from there or did you decide yeah, you know, originally, so um, one of the characters, um, the, the, the one who takes his life, um, uh, John Dixon, yeah. was an agent. And in the original script, the original script was called The Kings of L.A., okay. um, based on the L.A. Kings. And, um, they, and, and they all lived in Los Angeles. The problem was, because John, in the original script, was a TV film agent, yeah. it, it just, I was worried it wouldn't feel relatable to other people. I felt like it was going to feel like it was about Hollywood, and it really wasn't about Hollywood. It's about everybody. Yeah. And so I, I thought, what, what's a, a city that you root for, and what's a city that you, that could feel accessible to a smaller town, but still um, feel like a bigger city had something in common with it, and I thought Boston's perfect. Yeah. And you know, because I'm from Boston, it, it, it was it was perfect. I used to watch Bruins games with my dad as a kid. He would listen to the games, and I would uh, watch the games. It's yeah. actually funny because when we would go to the games, he would have an AM radio in his ear because he couldn't see. And they, the Bruins would get a goal, and about six seconds later, my dad would cheer. <laughs> delay, <laughs> the, delay, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So. How does it like? How do you feel with the events of this show and its plotline? Like, are, are you like excited about it? Like, is there anything you would change? Um, it has been an incredible experience. You know, for me, as a person who lost a friend, it has been unbelievably cathartic to go through the experience of writing about loss and writing about 
uh, depression, suicide, breast cancer, all issues which have hit my life very personally. Yeah. Um, so it has actually made me happier, and, and it really has allowed me to sort of purge some of the issues that I was struggling with in losing a friend. Um, from a, uh artist standpoint, the experience of having fans of the show relate to the material has been more overwhelming than I can possibly explain in this podcast. Yeah. Um, the, the fans, we call them millionaires. Millionaires. They're, the, the extent to which the show has made them re-examine their own life. Um, some people have said that they've reached out to get help. Some people who were suicidal say it saved their life. There's a woman who felt a lump and wasn't going to do anything, but because of our show had it checked out and then discovered early cancer and is in a treatment now. The, the, the effect that it's had on them has just been so, um, you know, you, I knew that individually it would affect people. I didn't know that there would be a community that developed from it. Yeah. And that group, they really look out for each other. I'm, I'm so proud of them. And I, I, you know, obviously I was the person who originally called them together, but they really have taken it and run. And it's just phenomenal. It's yeah. really, it is, um, you don't as an artist get that chance often. Um, certainly coming from the half hour world, you don't. Yeah. And I, I love them. Yeah. And I, they really drive me. I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of them personally. And every chance I get, I take it. Um, you know, as, as you know, we're going to do this, hopefully, a tour to Boston in a couple places. We are doing one um, the night before our second half of our season airs. I'm hosting a night in L.A. And, and there's just a bunch of stuff that happens and you go, um, I'm just really lucky to have this opportunity. It, mm. It's been incredible. I remember when I first watched the first season with my wife and, and like right away, like, like you, you just get like it pulls you right in because you know, not just from like the suicide point, but like there's every little story that you've put out there. Somebody has felt something from it. It seems as though it's resonating. And I, I've said this before. I, I set out to tell my story and yeah. what I discovered along the way is yeah. that we were telling everyone's story and it's just been so, um, I, I mean, I, if you want the specific stories, I'm happy to share them. There's a, there's a woman I walk with. I, I was asked to um, MC this uh, event in Pasadena a couple months ago for um, it was American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and they have they host these walks. And this was in Pasadena. It was called Out of the Darkness Walk, and um, everyone's walking with T-shirts. You know, I'm walking for Lisa, or we're walking for my dad. And you see these people who have lost loved ones to suicide. Hmm. And they're walking in groups of like five, 10, sometimes as big as 20. And there was this woman walking and uh, so um, just her smile just was like infectious. She came up and she said, hey, oh, and, and people knew who I was because I had emceed. And she said, oh, can I, I just, is it, I of course. She said, I've seen every episode of the show. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And she, I said, well, who, who are you walking for? And she said, they're all walking for me. Oh, wow. And I didn't understand at first. And she said, I tried to take my life three times last year. And she talked about what she's been through, which was. Me talking about my dad in this podcast, how much I look to a North star like that and her ability to just 
um, talk about where she was and now where she is and, and talk about how much the show helped her feel seen. Mm. That's what I hear from people. And it's just been um, incredible. Yeah. Really incredible. Oh. So now we have, I the... think as a society where we're hurting, I think we're really hurting. And I was, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why that is. I, I think there's a part of us that, um, that, you know, because of social media and because of reality TV, there's a way that people's lives are now presented that isn't real. I agree. Yet I agree. With feel that. like it's very real, yeah. and everybody seems to like put their best of um, list out or their best of pictures out, and I think it only makes us that much more aware that oh, that's not where my life is. Yeah. And 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 we can get sucked into that, and that. I think that there's a sadness that we're all feeling and, 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 and feeling alone in that sadness. And hopefully the show and this group of millionaires has helped people. There's a community now where hmm. people are, are saying, are feeling like, Oh, I'm seen. I'm not alone. Yeah. I mean, and social media is like one of those things, like I'm 43 years old. I lived without social media. And I thought back then social media, like without, without not having social media was great. If things felt yeah, more simple, I will say I, I only I only do social media for the show, and I have this Twitter thing that I do. Yeah, and um, uh, and I should and I should mention it at Hey DJ Nash. But the reason I do it is only for the show and for the millionaires. Yeah. Like I, there is this community here. I don't do it for uh, that. The the people who are involved with Twitter because of that, it is all very positive. Yeah, it is. I agree. Uh, hopefully very positive um but but I, I i think it's not only a time suck but it makes you disconnected with your life and it also makes you have a misperception of what other people's lives are mm -hmm. so now in a few days we have the the winter premiere and we saw a whole bunch of things that happened in the last episode uh like pj finding out that john was not his father you know almost jumping off the roof until rome stopped him are we going to see PJ again in, in this year or in the future? You know, and you know. oh, you're not going to see him this season. So, so in shooting the episode, we things got a little more intense on that roof. Yeah. Um, than were in the script, and when we were shooting it, we made this decision to have him step on the edge of the roof, which sort of made it more um, made him more in a troubled place than the original script was. And I love what we wrote. It just meant that for him to suddenly come back and hang out with the Dixons over dinner the next night wasn't really true to the struggle um, a person would be facing and really yeah. not correct or responsible to the help he should be getting. So um, because of that, I have decided that we should sideline the character for the rest of the season so that when we see him next, we can talk about all the help he's gotten himself and how he's in a better place. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's so we won't see PJ for the rest of this season, mm. but we do see you know Rome and Regina, who now as a result of PJ, um, have had the experience of of being there for a child, and now they're on a quest to adopt. You see um, Gary and Maggie who broke up yeah. at the end of last episode, and see whether they stay broken up, whether they find other people, whether. Really, what they need to each do is find themselves. And so you see them on the quest to do that. And then, obviously, 
for Delilah and for Eddie and for Catherine, um, the kids finding out the truth, um, were only beginning to see the effects of that. And while Catherine and Eddie very much felt like the truth must come out, and, and Delilah did too by the time it did come out, um, I think they were not prepared for just how devastating this news is going to be to all those kids. Mm. And even in that last shot, you see Theo yes. who wasn't supposed to be standing there watching and he will have a lot of questions. Yeah. Well, didn't he say, didn't he have a quote in one of the episodes that he sees things or he hears things? I'm, I'm trying to remember like exactly what that quote was. Yeah. Just because I'm not, yes. just because it doesn't, just because it looks like I'm not listening. doesn't mean I'm not, it, yeah. just because it looks like I'm not listening. doesn't mean I'm not. Yeah. yeah which is a, a line directly from my son. <laughs> really? But, uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, he, and you will see in the back half of the season, just how affected he has been by some stuff. You know, there was an episode we did when he does his sleepover and he says of the sleepover, um, Oh, mom, I, I took the suitcase so you couldn't leave again. And so there's all this stuff where he, he really does know what's going on. Yeah. And it really is challenging. Hmm. Yeah. So how hard was it deciding to break up Maggie and Gary? Because, you know, I was going on a few forums before we spoke, and, you know, you had fans that were upset about the breakup. Oh, yeah. Well, they should be upset. <laughs> I absolutely want them upset. If, yeah. if, I mean, that's like not being upset if someone dies. Yeah. I mean, you should be invested in these characters. So, yes, I'm taking you on the ride on purpose. Yes, I want you upset. So, mission accomplished. <laughs> um, but um, I want us to, you know, that scene where they do break up, I probably spent more time, Michelle uh, Libelle and I wrote that scene together, and we spent more time writing that scene than probably any scene. I think we spent more time than maybe on some episodes of the show uh, because we wanted to make it really you want to understand his position. You want to understand her position and you wanted to see that, um, this is really difficult. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And you also have, uh, Jason Ritter's character returned near the end of the scene, helping Maggie move back, you know, like, and, uh, we're going to see more of him, uh, coming up too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, as Maggie said, I'm trying to figure out who I'm in without cancer. And Gary says, well, I feel like I need to figure out who I am without you while you do that. And, yeah. and then, um, um, but then you get to a place where um, there's a lot of other factors going on and, and a lot of other things that will affect them. Not the least of which is um, Jason Ritter. So, um, yeah. you know, when I think the beginning of this season, as they're trying to figure out who they are without cancer, Maggie discovers that her brother's heart went to Eric or, 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 or that, um, yeah, that his brother's heart went to Eric. And, um, as that's happening, if you recall, um, Maggie had gone to see this psychic originally for Delilah, but when the psychic makes a connection with Chad, um, she, she really needs this closure and Gary makes fun of it and had already made fun of the psychic. So he can't suddenly now say, well, psychics are great. And so I think as that was the first wedge between them, then Eric comes into her life and she realizes that this guy has her brother's heart and we see a bond there and it's not necessarily romantic at first. Um, but there is a role that he's playing that Gary can't play. Yeah. There's a connection she has. And so we will see that connection continue and we will see um, 
how tempting it can be for her mm. to just want to be close to um, to someone who is carrying her brother's heart. Mm. And then for Gary, you know, he'll start to spiral. He was, you know, before he met Maggie, was dating lots of different women and not really having his life in order. In fact, John's last fight with him was about um, we, about a woman having a, a phone charger at his house, and, and that's enough to break up with a woman. Um, and we'll see Gary start to spiral. And mm. in fact, Gary hits rock bottom in this half of the season oh, as wow. we see him uh, try to figure out what his life is without Maggie. Mm. So, like, but you... then we twist it, guys. <laughs> we always flip the cards. You, you always know, do. That's enjoy, right. You know, it, whenever you think it's going to be one thing, we you, listen. In the mid-season finale, you see Maggie with an engagement ring, and then they break up. So yeah. it's never what you think it's going to be. That's our plan. <laughs> so you mentioned the word character. Like, who's your favorite character on the show? Like, who do you enjoy the most to write about? It's really interesting. Um, my director, uh, the the season one director. Um, my producing director, James Griffiths, who did the pilot and did a bunch of episodes the first season, he pointed out during the pilot that I am a few characters on the show. Okay. And uh, he's, he's right. So I am Catherine. Uh, the optimistic side of me is John. The sarcastic side of me and the sometimes angry side of me is Gary. Um, the, um, the, the person who struggles sometimes is a little bit of Rome in me. Um, but mostly I am Catherine. I am Catherine. Um, so uh, in terms of who's the most fun to write for, um, well, Gary is just hilarious. My so favorite character is Gary. Yeah. Well, it's just I take things that we really say and then we just put them in the show and he's really fun and James is wonderful as him. Um, I will say um, our whole show is built on what I've said of these card flips where just when you think Rome is going to take his life, John does. Or just yeah. when you think the that Eddie's having an affair with the guitar student's mom, it turns out to be Delilah. So the whole show is built on that. In a similar way, I wanted you in the first episode to not like Catherine, only to hopefully fall in love with her by the end of the first season. So the the fact that there is a huge Team Catherine contingency uh, contingent is um, is uh, very appealing to me hmm. uh, personally. So hmm. yeah. Are we going to see any more like flashbacks? But then, I mean, but, but like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yes. In fact, um, I we are about to do the table read for an episode that marks the one year anniversary since John's death. Oh, wow. And Ron's coming back for that episode. He's big in that episode. He's got a lot to do. Um, and um, it's about this idea that when you lose someone you love, you have these dreams. Um, and the dreams are so real that sometimes you call them dreams just so people don't lock you up. And um, our cast, different members of our the gang have been having dreams about John, and some of them haven't had dreams about John, and they all sort of discuss it, and, and, and we see how John continues to affect them even a year later. Mm. Wow. So you mentioned earlier about uh, doing like a meet and greet. I saw it on Twitter last night, meet and greet in Boston. You're trying to pull something like that off for the springtime? Yeah, it's always a weird thing. Uh, I, um, I, I am, I'm very private, but I'm very public for the show. Yeah. So um, for the show, and I understand that there's there are people who have just identified with the show, and I love, I absolutely love meeting them. It really, they inspire me tremendously. Uh, when I get up at five in the morning to edit the show or to write the show, they are the reasons I, I get up 
in the morning. So I love the opportunity to meet them like I did at the, um, at that suicide walk. Um, we are going to do an event on the 22nd of January, the night before our mid season premiere comes back um, in LA. That is uh, a screening of, of the episode with a Q and a after um, that I'll be doing. I don't have all of that information yet, but mm. I will post that on Twitter as soon as I know it. And then um, I believe Boston University, Brown University, and a high school in Boston. Those are three stops I'd like to get as many of our cast with wow. me to make in the spring. Um, BU obviously has an incredible communications uh, and arts program, um, and it's where my wife went to school. So when they were saying, where would you like to go? I said, oh, well, i got to go there. i got to go there. i got to impress <laughs> my wife. Um, I'm determined to do that at some point. <laughs> and then uh, I went to Brown, so I'd love to go back there and, and speak as well, because that was such a big part of um, of who I am. I was actually head of the counseling program at Brown, so the whole um, mental health element of our show, uh, I really, I think my awareness of those issues started when I was in college. Oh. Wow. Um so, like, you've worked, you've worked hard to get to this point. Do you think, is there any past projects that had the biggest impact impact on you? I think there was two. Um, there's a show called My Other Life in Brooklyn, which I sold three times. Yeah. It was the only pilot I've ever written that was not made, and I'm determined to get that made someday. But um, that was the show about a guy, a guy who married the woman of his dreams only to get the job of a lifetime yeah. 3,000 miles away. And I really would love to see that um, come to life someday. I really, it's such a, to me, the more I know about TV, the more I think, oh, you can have all of your stories at that show because you have married stories and single stories and they can coexist seamlessly. Um, and the other one that definitely affected me was Growing Up Fisher. You know, it was a really true story. If you watch the pilot to Growing Up Fisher, basically everything in that pilot that you would say, no way, there's no way that happened, absolutely happened. It was um, the story of growing up with a blind father. And I always say, you know, he's visually impaired. And he's like, don't say visually impaired. I'm blind. I can't see. Don't, <laughs> don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. Um, but um, that show and the opportunity to work with such tremendous talent like J.K. Simmons and Jenna Elfman and um, Jason Bateman, um, that combined with this opportunity to do this love letter to my dad i i am I'm, I'm so proud of that show I, awesome. I just I, I loved it yeah. yeah uh but but the one that obviously is getting the most attention is um a million little things yeah. and i think it's because of i think we're all struggling i think yeah. we're all struggling so when is the premiere date so the listeners will know for the, the premiere is um it's Thursday, January twenty third, new time, at 10 right? Ten o'clock. Grey's yeah. Anatomy is yep. Uh, it's ten p.m. Uh, Pacific and Eastern time, and then uh, I think uh, nine Central. Um, Grey's Anatomy has moved to nine o'clock, so we're now still behind them, but an hour later at ten, and uh, and uh, we come back with an episode where you see Danny finally in the production of Greece. You see. Uh, Maggie and Gary, it's three months later. The show picks up three months later, and you will see Gary and uh, Maggie see each other for the first time in three months. You'll see Maggie um, without her wig. You'll see um, Roman Regina uh, taking some important steps towards adoption, and you will see Delilah 
Eddie and Catherine dealing with the fallout of their children knowing the truth about the affair. Mm. And a ton of jokes. Tons and of a jokes. ton of jokes. There you go. And then lastly, DJ, how can the <laughs> listeners how can the, that sounds so funny. That's right. How can the listeners find you on social media? At hey DJ Nash. At hey DJ Nash. And I am I am very good about responding, so much so that it's the only thing my wife asked for me for my New Year's resolution was to not be so good about responding. <laughs> but um, I, I, when, when, when people reach out because the show has affected them, um, it affects me. So I reach out as well. And I'd love for people to, to follow me there. And also, um, I'm going to not do as good a podcast, but hopefully a podcast uh, coming up about the show uh, starting as soon as we finish uh, production. We wrap production February 18th, which point i'll have some more time that's awesome to actually do that podcast maybe you'll come on mine will sure. you come on mine sure i'll do it i love okay. the show i'll do, do it. it let's do it so sure D- dj this was fun huh? thank you for coming on thanks for it i'm gonna head it off i'm at the airport now i'm going to vancouver uh thank you for this opportunity thanks, that's, a wrap. that's a wrap everybody that's a wrap Thanks for listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. I finally get my man cave. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the MCC Podcast. And our website, themccpodcast.com. Until next time. Until next time.